Hello and welcome to the Kia Coachman Basketball Podcast. I'm joined here today with my guest, Juan Humes. How are you? Uh, not too bad at all, man. Not too bad at all. Good to hear. So let's get right into it. I heard, well, not I heard, you told me that uh, recently you've been thinking a lot about fit and how that relates to you as an AAU coach and also an NBA viewer. So what have you been thinking about? What's been on your mind? Well, like a lot of times people, when they talk about the NBA or even college ball compared to high school ball or AAU ball, they say it's a completely different sport. And that's mainly because of the athleticism, some of the attention to detail, some of the things you can get away at a lower level, you can't get away there. But a lot of the a lot of the fundamental aspects of the game don't really change. Maybe the rule sets change, whether it's more stricter, more fluid. But what doesn't change is certain fundamental aspects of the game, one of which is a matter of fit. And having coached coach some at AAU and then just even train people, you understand that a lot of that a lot of team a lot of I'll put it like this. There's a lot of kids trying to get scholarships through AAU or high school. I always tell people be very cognizant of what team what your child is as a player and what kind of personnel they're gonna have around your kid. Because unless your kid is a generational talent or a super stand or close to just a standout talent, who is around them is going to determine their success and how good they look, regardless of what their skill set is regardless of what their role is, if they don't have a certain caliber of person around them, whatever they can do will be muted as a result. If you're a great passer or a creator, doesn't matter if you're not surrounded by shooters. If you're, you know, a great shooter, it doesn't matter if you don't have people who can get you the ball. You're great moving off the ball, but you don't have a team that's good at ball movement, that everybody goes ISO, you're just moving off the ball for nothing. You're doing you're playing your game, you're doing your thing, but it's being hindered by the fact that the people around you aren't built to exploit or, or take advantage of your, your skills. And if depending on the coach, they might have a system that doesn't play to what you do. So it's this, even though that's something that people don't think about in the AAU level, um, it is something that gets thought up at the college and the NBA level. But you see certain teams where they'll just pick a bunch of talent or it's names or they pick a general talent instead of looking at the idiosyncrasies or the nuance of the player and as a result they fill a general need but that general need doesn't go specifically with the personnel or the style that the coach has set up for it so you have players who were in general the right thing this is a shooter but he's struggling the system why because one system needs a guy who's just a catch and shoot guy one system needs a guy who can catch and shoot but it can also create for himself a little bit there's a big gap between just a catch-and-shoot guy and a guy who can create a little bit, much less at a high level. So a lot of teams are struggling because they don't, they don't have the fit. They just get a general solution without understanding the strengths and weaknesses of the players on the team. So then they make the wrong pick as far as draft picks. They make the wrong picks as far as free agents. They make the wrong picks as far as who they bring up from the G League, all because they don't have a really good understanding of who and how the player is and what they need specifically from each player. That's very well said. Where do you see this right now in the NBA? Like, are there any specific examples here? I mean, the most famous one was clearly the Los Angeles Lakers. I know everybody hates to talk about them, but the fact of the matter is, you know, it's like they had certain players and they got rid of them because 
they felt they had reached their full extent with those players, you know, um, KCP, Kyle Kuzma, because they weren't dynamic scorers, because they weren't dynamic ball handlers or, pl- or creators. They were more supplemental role players who could assist the stars in who can kind of support the stars in making plays or being or take some of the pressure off them to allow them to play to the full extent of their abilities. So they got a Russell Westbrook and brought him in. And it's not that Russell Westbrook is a bad player. He's just, he's like a volume scorer. He's a, he's a volume, everything assists. It takes a certain amount of volume attempts for him to get the number of assists he does for the rebounds, for the scoring, for the shots he makes in brief bursts. He can be dynamic and efficient, but generally you have to give him almost a complete green light in every aspect of the game for him to be consistently effective. Now, on a lesser talented team or with a guy who who's not like a LeBron, Russell Westbrook is going to eat. He's going to get you to the playoffs. He's going to seem like a very dominant player. But when you don't allow him the green light, his game isn't meant to be a role player's game. His game isn't doesn't necessarily have that nuance when you, you, don't, you don't allow him free reign. So as a result, you've made him look worse. And you've put the Lakers in certain positions that expose them defensively because of the mistakes that he makes. It's not that he's never made those mistakes. He's made them his entire career, but he's been given enough leeway to overcome them with his athleticism, his aggression, his confidence, and now his experience. But in a team where they're demanding you be efficient and cutting your usage in half and then asking you to do the same things you do, those mistakes become more prevalent. They stand out more because you're not given the opportunity to drown them with 15 other good things. So those five mistakes, six mistakes stand out dramatically because you can't do 15 other things that'll drown them out or cover up or make up for them. So it, 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 even though he's been who he's always been, it's hindered the team's production and it's made him look sometimes to the majority of fans almost incompetent because of how they're asking him to play and how that impacts with his normal play style. Yeah, actually, I like what you said about how it's about volume for him in the sense that if his usage is lower, he even if he's doing the same things, it just doesn't have the same impact. That's not a point I've really seen brought up a lot, and I think you're partially right on that. But also, do you think part of the issue has just been regression as a player, or do you think it's all just the role he's in? Well, it's two things, and and a lot of people who comment on these things, they're very smart. Some of them are players, but a lot of them are, you know, people who do analytics and can and go over numbers and the science of the sport, which is very important. You have to have both things, but those people don't have any, for the most part, there's a guy on Twitter, I think his name is Joseph Gill. He does more of an analytic approach, but he's helping college teams. He's helping young players get scholarships or attempt to go pro, and he used to play, so he has some skin in the game. He's actually shaping and guiding and directing people. And some of these people who are making these these videos or these podcasts or these breakdowns, they're influencing people, but they're not individually responsible for people. So they they have a certain clinical dissonance or, or cognitive dis- dissonance because they're not directly connected. Me, I'm not, obviously I'm not working with world-class guys, but I'm working with players. So I have to look at all aspects of things. I've had some player, and I, I just background, I have three. I have three daughters, three older daughters. I have a younger daughter who's nine, but all three of my daughters play basketball, middle school, high school. All of them got offers to play in college. Wow. I noticed amazing. And then once again, they weren't great. They were very good, but the thing is, they understood how to play basketball. Two of them weren't even really good athletes. One of them was a very good athlete. The other two were like all right, 
But the thing about it was I saw how much being in a certain system or someone understanding the full extent of their abilities would allow them to play much different. On one system, they wanted one of my daughters just to be kind of a rebounder, put back kind of person, attack the rim. But she was a 40% shooter from three-point during the, her last two or three summers in AAU. But at a certain school, they would never let her take those shots. She was 50% from mid-range. They didn't want her taking those shots. My other daughter, she was less of a scorer, but I kind of trained her in a more of a Jamon Green role. Summer, even though she's a bigger girl, they let her handle. They let her run the offense and set the table for the offense. School ball, they never let her do it because they didn't think she was in good enough shape and they didn't think she was fast enough. And she probably wasn't fast enough, but she saw the floor well enough and could, was a very good passer. And she could handle and She had enough physicality to keep people from taking the ball from her. But that was something they were never going to allow her to do. Russell Westbrook isn't ever going to be allowed to play his game. When he does, you see him be dynamic. Now, the downside to it, and that's something you have to be honest about as a trainer, is there's holes in everybody's game. There's limitations in everybody's character. There's limitations in everybody's approach to the game. In the case of Russell Westbrook, he doesn't really have a defined skill set. He gets a lot of assists, but is he really one of the more cerebral, nuanced, creative playmakers? No, all his playmaking is based off the pressure he can, he can generate because of his dynamic speed and his, when you mix it with his physicality because he's not afraid of contact he can make passes later than other people because he can get through the contact and still make that pass. And he puts so much pressure on you because of his speed. And it's the same thing with the rebounding. The rebounding isn't limiting him because he's so dynamic. He can catch it, snatch it, and beat it down the court before somebody else who rebounded would be able to touch the ground. His athleticism generates easier looks, allows him to get through certain windows and lanes, and allows him to create in a manner that a more technical guy wouldn't be able to because he doesn't have that raw explosive power and that physicality now that he's lost a little bit of it you see that maybe he doesn't have as much of a feel or much of an overall layered understanding of running offenses because if you do you can still get your seven or eight assists with your usage being down but he's always been such a great athlete you have to put the ball in his hand because he can do so many things just based off that athleticism and that aggression and that mental toughness. Now that he's lost a bit of a step, those clear mid-range shots that he used to get, they're not as clear because the space isn't, the space isn't obvious. Guys are coming up on him because he can't just blow past them. So now you don't have to give him as much of, of a buffer. So you can get in his face a little bit. When he tries to get to the rim, he can't explode through contact like he used to. So he'll still get to the rim, but he can't consistently finish like he used to. And now, since his speed isn't quite what he used to be, not for the entirety of a game when he's going full speed, he, does, he doesn't create the passing lanes because it's not as much speed and he can't get through as much contact anymore. So some of those passes that used to be rockets to the corner for a three are now a turnover. Some of those passes, because they have to sit so far back because of speed, now they can come up a little bit and that pass that would have been a setup for you know, a three or mid-range two or whatever, now that doesn't exist because they're not giving him as much space because now they know that, yeah, he'll blow past me three or five times in an entire game, but he used to be able to blow past me like 20 to 25 times all game long and finish through contact. He can't do that anymore. So his game has been based purely on his attributes. Some things he's addressed, but he's never, he's, never been for, he's never been one of the worst athletes on the floor or been out-athleted, so he's never had the, in my opinion, the motivation to really have to refine a fundamental – super sharp, non-attribute-based game. You know, there's a reason why Chris Paul, Chris Paul lost a bunch of steps, but he's still efficient in doing numbers. Russell Westbrook is still impactful, 
but he, his efficiency and, and his isn't there. It's never been there. And now his impact isn't nearly what it used to be. Yeah. And I like that you brought up Chris Paul because he has pretty much no athleticism at this point, but because he has that technical skill that you were saying, the understanding of the game, he plays with not more pace, but more different pace. It's not just one speed all the time. And I think that's part of what allows him to continue playing so well at this age. Whereas it, like I said, Russ okay. doesn't as much. Yeah, it's it's like um like you see how Ray John Rondo plays and, and Rondo's not he can be really hit or miss. But you you never question his decision making. You might question his efforts sometimes. You might question his ability to stay in front of people as far as his actual physical ability. But you know that mentally he's seeing he he knows the position he's supposed to be in defensively. Offensively, he knows where he's supposed to be at. He just doesn't have the physical tools to, for large chunks of time, execute. Yeah, and that seems to be a little. It's like I would I would kind of compare Russell Westbrook to a degree, not completely. To somewhat like a basketball version of a Cam Newton, you know, it's like obviously he's a smart guy, obviously he's an experienced guy, obviously he's learned some crafts and skills, but he's always been able to rely on that that uh che- that cheat code that allows him to make up for maybe a l- lack of perfect placement or a lack of efficiency or a lack of deep technical skill in certain positions or or in certain skills as shooting, shot creation, all that other stuff. He's always had that extra little thing that makes up for anything. And as that's been eroded away a little bit, he can still in spots be very dynamic, but he just can't do it consistently, especially if you're going to rein him in to what he's allowed to do, the shots he's allowed to take, and the amount he's allowed to have the ball in his hand. You you still need – for to make the most of his game, you have to give him a certain amount of freedom. And it seems like in the league on certain teams, in the league in general, doesn't think that his impact is worth having that kind of freedom anymore. Yeah, I I pretty much agree with everything you just said. So moving past him and the Lakers, are there any other teams you think have a big fit into, like a glaring one, or maybe some teams that you think are the opposite have done a specifically good job of uh, a couple teams. Um, like I, I feel like the Charlotte Hornets. I feel like they've got a lot of young talent, and they've got a lot of guys who who can be dynamic scorers. But what they don't have is a lot of guys who can accept a role. Like, even if a guy has that ability, if you can accept a role, you can actually make the team better. It seems like they have a hard time with guys accepting that I'm not the first or second option on this unit. My job is to, you know, get open to make it to make it easier for LaMelo. To, instead of me just standing over here and going ISO, I'm, I need to be mo- moving off the ball more. I need to hold my position so that I can allow him to do scope out the landscape, shift the defense and get the ball to me instead of demanding the ball, taking a looking people off and hitting them with the seven, five to get my shot off. Like they run a very inefficient offense. And it's like, you see, even though uh, the guys seem to like each other, it's like people are battling to have uh, as the lead score, you know, it's like somebody yeah. else, they got their 25 points. We didn't need 25 from you. What we needed was you to get 15, play really good defense, and act as a complimentary playmaker. But you rather get that extra 10 points, not create shots for other people, not guard anybody. So, yeah, you look like you put up numbers, but your numbers actually hurt the product and hurt our chances to win. I know what you mean. I think 
they've done a good job of building a team where they have so many guys with ball skills that can create, like Lamelo, Rozier, Bridges, Ubre. Even though he can't really create for others, he can create for himself, etc. But it does feel like sometimes it's too much, like you're saying, kind of. You want more guys who can just. Well, it's like, it's you look at it. It's like I tell kids I train. I'm like it's the same way with shots. Just because you can make a shot doesn't mean you take every version of that shot. Just because you have some ball skills doesn't mean you have to flaunt them all the time because especially when it comes to creation, you have to have a certain mentality of that. Kyrie Irving could be a great assist guy. It's not really his thing. He's just so talented he can do it. Um, Rogier could be great. Dennis Schroeder actually has some playmaking skills, but Kimba Walker has. But those kind of guys – want to get their buckets first and then they will start creating for people. And if their buckets aren't falling, then they have no real interest in controlling or in the game purely through their ability to create for others. And when you have only one playmaker, it makes his job becomes easier because he's got a, it's like a, when you have Dre and Steph, Dre can bring the ball. He can initiate the offense. He can also create Steph can play off ball, get you buckets, but he can also play on ball and create or play off ball and create. It allows a free flowing in the offense. Once Gordon Hayward got hurt or hasn't really recovered the way he is, now you have a bunch of guys whose first instinct is to shoot. They do have ball skills. They do have ability to create, but they're not creators. They're not utility type players. They're the kind of players who are looking for their shot first and foremost, which throws out the whole fluidity of the offense. It forces overloading in certain spots. It forces an inordinate amount of um, ISOs which hurts the efficiency and the shot quality you're getting. It's, it's the same issue that, um, that Portland had last year. You know, you have two guys who can create, but they're all trying to get buckets and they become secondary, which means the, the offense stagnates. But last year, you know, in, in Portland, you have Dame, one of the best tough shot takers and makers, CJ, one of the best shots and takers and Carmelo, one of the best, tough shot takers and makers so you have three guys who are probably top 50 top 25 all time in tough shot making and that bails that offense out but on a team like the hornets you don't have guys who are who are that, who are that caliber who can consistently do that over the length of a of a season they have moments but for the most part they can't consistently give you whatever they give you in that manner without hurting the flow of the offense. And they're not good enough scores to make up for that lack of creativity or fluidity in the offense. So they, they need to have guys who are willing to accept secondary roles and more guys who are willing to do things outside of just scoring to bounce them out. They need a guard who can defend and create. They need to, you know, if Hayward's going to be injured, you need another person who can, who can score, but is more like a third or fourth option, but can create rebound, bring the ball up, take some of the pressure off of LaMelo and assist him because right now he's working too hard. And part of that work is because he has guys who are wanting to go ISO, not moving off ball and not helping him with the creation. So he's got to work harder to score and work harder to set people up. That's a lot of work, even for a young guy. You see turnovers and late game collapses from them because they don't have anything to fall onto when the shots aren't falling. Yeah. They definitely need more defense, like you said. And I'm also glad you mentioned Hayward because even though I feel like there are times where I want him to be more involved in the offense, he's kind of been the ultimate glue guy for them. And, you know, people are going to say he's too overpaid to be a glue guy, but 
if he like sees the role that needs to be fit and he's he's like playing that role, I think that's about all you could ask for. And that that's a mistake. That's a mistake that a lot of pros and kids at a young age make. Uh, Alex Caruso, they interviewed him years years ago, and he said the reason more guys don't make it in the G League is because you're interviewing for a janitor job, but you're coming in talking about how you want to be the CEO. You have to be able to fill a need. And it's the same thing at lower levels of basketball. And Draymond Green would appreciate that because he's a guy who's like, it's not just about buckets. A lot of kids would be better off trying to imitate a, a Thibault or a Draymond or even Alonzo or Alex Caruso or, or somebody of that nature who has a more of a auto porter who has a broader set of skills. They can score, they can do certain offensive things, but they have a broader set of skills because even if their shot isn't falling, they provide value. And oftentimes we have the lane for scoring and shot creation and three-point. That lane is packed. Everybody wants to be that guy. There's lanes open for there's lanes open for playmaking. There's lanes open just for people who can who can move the ball in half court, move the ball in half court and push the ball in full court. Guys who box out and play physical defense and make hustle plays. Those lanes are wide open, but nobody wants those lanes. And the best teams who win championships routinely or, or win champions, they have guys who can fit into roles and they will gladly fit into roles. Even if they could do a little bit more to accomplish this goal, they will scale their game back to get into the league, to make it impactful to the team. P.J. Tucker could do more than he, he does, but what does he do that for? Because it's something he can specialize in that separates him from other people that keeps him in the league and turns turns um winning basketball. Draymond could probably be a better scorer, maybe. I don't know for sure. But the little things he does uh, takes the pressure off of other guys, allows them to fully invest in their offensive game and not have to worry about the defensive end or setting the table or have to worry about another guy taking shots off, off from them because he has no interest in doing those sort of things. Same thing with Ben Simmons, except he's scared to shoot. But ultimately, it's the same result. So you need guys who are willing to game and just break out the scoring when we need it. I don't need you, you know, someday we might need you to really do that, but mostly we need you to do these other things, but people have no interest in doing them. And all those things are winning basketball. Yeah. And to that point with Gordon Hayward, again, I've seen a lot of stats recently about in the past two years when he's playing, the Hornets have been like a solid team when he's injured, they've just been horrible. And I know that, you know, like other guys were injured when he was injured. Those stats aren't always representative, but, I think it does speak to the point you're making about having someone like that who, because it, it doesn't seem like Hayward is playing that big a role when you watch them, but when he's not there, you can see the absence. Like it's, it's apparent. You're clearly smarter than a lot of people. Cause a lot of people are fans. It's like when, when you have high school kids, most people who watch basketball are fans of their kids. They're not fans of the sport. That's why they don't understand why the coach won't let their kid play their game. Your kid needs 15 points. That's not good enough. Now, if your kid needs 15 shots to get 20 points, that's not great, but it's still 20 points. 15 shots to get eight isn't enough for me to give him 15 shots. Your kid needs to do something else. Gordon Hayward understands, especially after his injury, he probably he had to retool his game a little bit because he lost some of that athleticism. He, he was always a utility. He was more of an offensive player who could do utility. He had to embrace that more because he was no longer able just to take people off the dribble consistently and get any shot he wants. He had to turn out a more cerebral approach to the game that balanced out what he did. And late in his Celtics tenure, you saw it. He'd be rebounding. He'd be defending. He'd be pushing the ball and in transition or bringing it up. He'd be swinging the ball in half court. He'd be set. He'd be, he was like a setup man. And yeah. the best 
even though that's not popular, people like too much money to be a setup man. What happens when you don't have a setup man? Yeah, exactly. It it goes bad. And uh, kind of like an aside to that, I really wish Gordon Hayward stayed on the Celtics because I feel like as good as they've been recently and they're definitely improving on the offensive issues they had earlier in the season, that type of guy is exactly what could bring them to the next level at this point. Yeah, because he, he would be willing. He's not as concerned. He's going to pick his spots offensively. But if it means getting a rebound, guarding one of the better scorers, or giving up the ball to get the scores get in rhythm, because Brown and Tatum get run into the ground having to – because they haven't had a real point guard, really, who they trust and, and let run the team. So they let Brown and Tatum – dictate that so it means they got to bring it up they got to create for themselves sometimes they got to create for others now they got to defend it's like it's a lot of responsibility a lot of energy which results in a lot of bad shots and a lot of nights where you're seeing 30 percent shooting and just ridiculously bad play if they had somebody who, who was willing to embrace that and wasn't worried about their offensive production there's probably you know in the bubble they probably go to a championship you know last year maybe they're more competitive for a championship but they had serious issues in playmaking and serious issues as far as somebody else who would take on other roles and had more was willing to play that role until more was needed. Yeah, and I think right now kinda, they have more of that with Derek White, Marcus Smart, Alvord. So Derek White's been a godsend. I know he's not elite, but he is steady and he's consistent. And coaches like people who are A, and be consistent. I don't care if you're not great. If I know what I can expect from you every night, day in and day out, I will pick you over a dynamic player because that guy might give me 25 one night and then might give me zero the next. He might have 10 assists, one turnover one night, and then 10 turnovers and one assist another. I need to know what I'm getting so I know how to play you and who to match you with. And his has allowed him to have um, great value for the Celtics. And I don't know why more players don't work on having consistent, sustainable games instead of scoring five or ten games that have a breakout 25 points and then say, see, I could do this every night. You can't do it every night. If you could, you would do it every night. And if you understood about yourself, you could direct yourself in a manner that would make you more efficient and more valuable. But everybody wants to prove they can be Katie and Kyrie, and that is the case. Yeah, that's why I really like these these guys, kind of like Derek White. Alex Caruso, we talked about Austin Reeves, guy right now in LA. Nicholas Ricky Rubio, huh? Ricky Rubio would be a guy like that, even though he was a high draft pick. He's a steady, intelligent, low mistake kind of guy. Yeah, exactly. I've been as I as my uh, understanding of basketball evolves, kind of. I really appreciate those guys a lot more. And I think Austin Reeves for the Lakers is a good one who, like, he's an undrafted rookie, I think. But based off this year, just doing those small things, moving the ball in the half court, making the right decisions, being in the right positions defensively, I think he's definitely going to have a long career, stuff like that. Yeah, it's everybody wants to be a star or a high scorer, and there's not enough balls around for everybody to score 20 points a game in any sort of efficient manner. And for you to be inefficient, you got to be like prime Russell or prime AI. That's how impactful you have to be to be inefficient. A lot of guys 
aren't going to be in the same reason I tell people the reason you won't make a team in high school or you won't make a team in summer or you won't college scholarship is because you are trying to fill dominate in a lane where the, the best athletes and the best talented people are when there's all these other things to do that will allow you to have value. Now you might not be a superstar. You may not be super popular. You might just be a high level role player, but you'll be a high level role player who will be getting contracts, possibly competing for championships and having long-term success in the NBA. Pat Beverly is a version of that. And people are like, well, Bev, who's Bev? He's a fraud. He just does a b- bunch of barking. He's made 60, 70 millions in the league, and he's still in the league when other guys who, who were supposed to be top-level scorers didn't last two, three years in the league. He's still here. Yeah, he, it, can't, it can't be all tricks and all fraud if he's still here. Alex Caruso hasn't been any sort of 25-point game scorer, but he's got a ring, and he signed a big contract with Chicago. But there's guys who could score three times as much as him who can't even get in the league past a 10-day contract. There's, there's, a, there's a place for people who are connectors who can help everything run fluidly, whether it's on defense or offense, even though they're not offensively dominant. And I think the mistake people make, whether it's NBA, college, or high school, you don't have to be a great scorer. You just can't be a liability. You have to be able to hit open shots. That's why we run plays to get open shots. You have to be able to consistently hit open shots so the defense has to shift and respect you, which allows us space to get to the rim, post up, whatever it is. But everybody doesn't understand that. They think it's got to be 25 or 30. There's just not enough balls or enough opportunity for everybody to get 25 or 30 a night. That's just not going to happen. But there's lots of room for people to get 10 or 15 rebounds, five or six steals, five to seven, five, seven to nine assists a game. There's tons of room for that. Mm-hmm. But nobody has any interest when they're developing their game. They play, they develop games to dominate. And most people aren't even going to get the opportunity to dominate. Instead of learning how to play talent, everybody trains to be the talent. When most likely you're going to have to learn how to play with talent. And if you learn how to play with talent, you'll be in the you'll be in the league for years. Yeah. You might not train, but you will be rich and you will be in the league for years or a pro for years because you know how to play with talent and you know how to play the game, not just score dominantly. Yeah. And I wonder how much of this goes back to what you were talking about at the top of the show where at these lower levels you have a couple people who are like supreme talents that you're okay with just kind of building the team around them and the other people that you train you said all have to have a role to fit in now when it comes to the nba most of the people in the nba are the people that were that supreme talent for their whole career so now i wonder how much of it is them having a hard time making the shift to being the talent that the other people have to play with to now being the people that have to play with the talent. You know well, I, mean? I, 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 a lot of kids I've trained, I've trained some D1 kids, I've, I've done that. So, but a lot of the kids I've trained, whether in high school or middle school, they were not the tallest, the biggest, or the fastest. So we didn't have any option but for them to understand how to play the game because they never had that, it, that huge athletic advantage. One of my daughters... We use fakes, jabs, pump fakes to get to the rim, pull up mid-range. My other daughter, the athletic ones, she just runs by people. She's never used a jab in her life. She's never used a pump fake in her life. It's all run past, make make my move, cross over, get to the rim, pull up. The, the best counter she has is when somebody's fast enough to cut her off, she can pull up on a dime. But all that jab step and post up and footwork stuff, no. It, it wasn't her thing. She never had to because her athleticism allowed her to navigate that. Most people... When they have a kid who's athletic, it, they 
they try to make them the center of the team. They give them the green light. They let them play all game. And I'm like, that's not going to happen at a higher level. You have to learn how to play a role. You have to learn to impact the game without scoring a point. I had a kid I trained. He's a point guard. And I was like, dude, the 25 points thing is great. But there's lots of kids who score 25 points who don't get scholarships. I had a kid who averaged 6.7 points a game his senior year. And he got four scholarship offers. And I know somebody who averaged 30 who didn't get one because the other guy could rebound, play defense, and was good off the ball. That, yeah. that, that separated them. And um, a lot of people misdirect their kids. Like you see Imani Bates in college, he struggled because he's always been that guy. They didn't teach him how to play with talent. They never had him playing with talent. They had him be the guy their offense runs through completely. Now when he can't clearly dominate, what happens? He's struggling in college. But you look at somebody like LeBron James, when he has his son, he had his son on a super stacked team where his son was forced to play roles, where his son wasn't going to get all the touches and all the shots. He was going to have to be rotated in and out and, and compete for positions. So whether he's a great dominant player or whether he's just an average NBA player, if he gets to the pros, he's going to be effective because he knows how to do both things. As he's gotten further along in his high school time, he's had more chances to dominate. But his domination hasn't become from just scoring. He's the best defender on his team. He's probably the best playmaker. He's probably the highest IQ guy, directs everybody on offense. He rebounds, scores, gets to the rim, hits threes, creates for people. He has, he has a very broad game. It's not just deep a deep skill set. He has a broad skill set. And he's, he's bas- basically playing like an elite level role player. But most people only train to be the talent. So once they're not the talent anymore, they don't know how to make the adjustment. They've always, like you said, they've always been the guy. They've always had the ball in their hand. And there's some players, if you don't put the ball in their hand exclusively – you can't even play them. If they don't have a green light, they're unplayable. If they don't have a complete green light, they are complete, They are unplayable, and they're not a good enough athlete or good enough skill offensive person to get the green light. So they can't even be in the league because they don't know how to play off ball. They don't set screens. They don't rebound. They don't defend. They don't pass. All they do is get buckets. So that's a very small segment of the game they, they bring value to, and they can't do it efficiently or dynamically enough to justify a contract. Look at Alonzo Trier. Great score. Why isn't he in the league? Um, he didn't really do much else. Nothing. He, he ain't guarding nobody. He ain't rebounding. He ain't creating for nobody. You know, Kimba Walker, people say he's cooked. They say he's cooked because his thing is scoring. If he was more of a, if he had a Ray John Rondo type game, Rondo went to the Cavaliers, and even though he's playing less minutes, he, he's actually won them three to four different games off of his IQ, timely defense, and playmaking. You know, most people can't adjust from that shift. Kimba Walker still needs to get his touches, get his shots. Even Carmelo Anthony, he used to dominate the ball. And, yeah, he's still mostly a scorer, but he's changed his scoring to where he can be impactful. You give him 20 minutes, he can – some nights he can win you a game. He can get you 24 points in, in 20 minutes. If you play in the right amount of minutes and you put him in – give him the right spots, he can do – he can do a lot of damage in, like, 20 minutes. Oh, this is my thing. I'm supposed to score. Cool. Make make sure you don't play me too long. There's been four or five games the Lakers this year that he's won, basically won off of his scoring from the bench. Now, can he do that full time? No, but he's changed his game enough that he can. He doesn't need as many touches. Yeah. You know, so you have to have a coaching staff that plays you different, and you have to accept playing different. Most guys have always been the guy. They won't accept anything else. They won't go to the bench. Manu Ginobili went to the bench. Allen Iverson wouldn't. That's why Manu Ginobili kept playing and Allen Iverson stopped after a certain point. Yeah. And I think it makes it so much more impressive when you see guys like Michael Porter Jr., for example, who was 
since high school. The next great thing, he's the next Kevin Durant. They put the ball in his hands. And then he came into the NBA, didn't really play his first season because the back issues. He went lower in the lottery than he was supposed to. And right out the gate, his handle wasn't as good as maybe like it should be to be an elite on-ball scorer like that. He seems kind of stiff, maybe because of the back issues. But the way he's moving without the ball, he crashes the boards for rebounds, cuts off Jokic. It's It was really unexpected for me based off what I've seen from him in high school. Um, and I think it's just so cool that like some guys can make that adjustment and it, it makes me really respect them, you know? Yeah, it, I mean, you you have to have, it's like somebody who's always gotten the best jobs and now you run on, like you let wealthy people who lose jobs and they spend all their savings trying to keep their house and you're thinking to yourself, you can't find another, you're turning down jobs because you're used to making $200,000 a year, but you won't take this $70,000 a year job, sell your house and keep your family together and not spend your savings because of ego and because of habits. But there's some rich people who are like, you know what? I lost it. I can just find a way to build it back up. I'll take a bunch of steps backwards, build myself back up and not ruin myself and my family. That's basically what it is. The people with the talent are wealthy and they've always been able to dominate or figure out a way to dominate. They never had to be humbled. They never had to work their way back into a rotation. They never had to really compete. They've always been given that green light. So when somebody can make that adjustment from star to role player and then work their way back up, it's very impressive because most people's ego won't allow them to. You know, you, you see guys who are in the offseason working on their beating people off the dribble. And I'm like, dude, you've already got a team full of guys like that. Why don't you work on your defense? Why don't you work on your playmaking? Why don't you work on your off-the-ball movement? Why don't you fill a need that a bunch of teams have? But no, everybody wants all their practices, on-ball, on-ball, on-ball. Beat them off with this dribble, get to this spot. Work on your rebounding, dude. If you could get nine rebounds instead of the three, they'd have a reason to keep you on the court. If you rebounded better and boxed out, you have a reason to be on team. If you play better defense, you know, you have all these great athletes who can score and dunk. If you got that level of athleticism, you should be a lockdown defender. Develop that aspect of your game. And, and there isn't a team in the league that doesn't need a good defender. Even good defensive teams need more good defenders. But that's that's not what people want to do. So they're not going to do it. You could work on your passing, but people would rather get 15 points than get nine assists a game. And you're with the best shooters and scorers in the world. And to be honest, passing is one skill that transfers at every level. Because the better players you play with, the more impactful your passing becomes. On a bad high school team, you could have, you should have ten assists. You're going to have like three or four. On a yeah. good college team, that three or four becomes what five to seven. As a pro, that five to seven can instantly go seven to nine. You can have those kind of results because you have better people if you develop that skill. But you have to want to develop something outside of just having the ball in your hand, working on dribble combos and hitting tough shots. And a lot of guys can make a living doing that, but they don't want to. They want to do it this way. And that's all they're going to work on. That's all they're going to develop. Yeah, I can score. I scored four more points than I did last year. Okay, that's great. But you're still not an elite scorer. You still can't defend. You still won't rebound. You still can't create for anybody. And you're wondering why you're not getting playing time. You're better than that guy because you score more points. That guy can rebound and defend, and he creates for other people. That's why he's in the game and you're not. Yeah. We got KD on our team. We got Kyrie on the team. We don't need your 15 points. We need you to get us 10 points and give us like five assists. But all you can do is give us 15 
and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And what I really like is uh, guys who are so talented, who are a focal point, that still do those things anyways. The guy that comes to my mind is Cade Cunningham. Even, like, a rookie right now, when he first started the season, his shot wasn't falling. He didn't look as good offensively as we expected. But on defense, he was communicating. He was switching. He was leading the team. And I was so impressed by that because I feel like it's so rare you see that from a rookie, especially like a guard slash wing who's so hyped up as he is. It felt like like it was rare to see, you know? And that's part of the reason I'm a big Cade fan. Yeah, Cade, Cade is mature beyond his years. He's got a very... Like I said, he's got a game that has depth of skill, but also has width of skill. And he also has the under, he appreciates and understands real basketball well enough to under, to get that whether he's scoring or not, the shot's going to fall. If you do enough work and you have that talent, the shot's going to start falling at some point. But the only way you'll get to that point is if you can contribute on the floor in other ways to keep you in the game so that you can eventually find your rhythm and find your spots. Like if you can do other things, play off the ball, rebound, there's four to six points off of that right there. And that's before you even start hitting your jumpers. Yeah. But you have to, uh, you have to understand the finer points of basketball, which, you know, Draymond Green talks about. It's why Ben Simmons, even though he can't shoot, still has tremendous value because he can do all these other things at a, a high level. Uh, Alex Caruso, we spoke about him, or another guy who's a high IQ guy who can do a bunch of other things and score enough that you can, you, you, you can keep him on the team. Um, it's just, Cade, uh, Shet Holmgren will be a guy who has that that mentality and that approach and that with the skill. Evan Mobley is another guy. And those are guys who, at least the case of Mobley and Cunningham, who stand out head and shoulders above other other rookies because of that versatility and because of that depth and because of that maturity to their games. They're already impacting the game both ways when a lot of players can, can only play defense because they're not good enough scorers or if they're good enough scores, only want to score and have no interest in playmaking, creating, rebounding, or doing anything else. You have to have a certain maturity, and you have to have a certain IQ to understand that that at a young age. Because as we've mentioned, you have players who are 25, 30, who still don't understand that or understand it and just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I know another uh, another thing you've been focusing on recently, you said is – coaches being over-reliant on their systems. When I hear that, the first thing that comes to mind is Steve Kerr. Even though I'm a big Steve Kerr fan, I know he gets a lot of flack from Warriors fans about not diverting from what he does, um, sticking to it no matter what the results are. So what do you think about that? Do you think he's right to do this or he should divert what plan? I'm going to say one thing about coaches. I say this about – I say this at high school level. I say this at middle school level. I say at college. I say it at pros. The one trend I always hate, I hate it when trainers do it. I hate it when parents do it. I hate it when fans do it. When a player struggles, it's the system. It's the coach. He's not letting them play his game, yada, 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 whatever. WNBA too, women's basketball too, I hear the same thing. Like coach, girls and guys. But then when the player does good, the coach gets no credit. So it's like when the player's doing good, it's just how awesome and incredible they are. When they struggle, it has to be the coach. If the coach has nothing to do with your successes, then that means you should be able to dominate all the time because the coach can't help you or hurt you. Or you're saying he can only hurt you, but if he's not getting any credit for your positives, 
then that means even when he's hurting you, you should be able to dominate. It's like a cop-out. Coaching matters to a certain degree because when you get to the highest levels, you can't just beat everybody off the dribble, just run past everybody, dunk on everybody, get wide open threes everybody. At some point, there's a certain amount of execution and preparation that needs to be done for you to win playing high-level competition. You can win a couple games just because somebody went off. You can do that. I mean, you can do that a bunch of times. But if, if you don't if you don't have a system, if people don't fit roles and people aren't put in certain positions and somebody doesn't make the tough decisions as far as personnel, then those games won't re- result in wins. Last year, Steph had a bunch of 30, 40-point games that resulted in losses because they didn't have the right personnel, they didn't have the right people together. Now he's having 30, 40-point games, and they're wins because they're, the people are being directed around him. The coach isn't always necessarily for the stars, but it takes more than stars to win. You can't have stars at every position. It's for the other people who need a system, who rely on the system, and have to know how to work within the system to maximize themselves and maximize the team. Do I think Steve Kerr gets a little bit too much, too much where he, he has to have it his way? He focuses on certain plays. He, he wants to run his system a certain way. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I can see that, and I can respect that because he probably does rein in Clay, and he probably does rein in Steph, and he probably did rein in KD. And KD said it before he left. He's like, you know, these pass and these cuts and these moves and it's all this stuff, you know, sometimes you just got to get a guy to get a bucket. But you can't have a guy just get a bucket the entire game. That doesn't work. I put it like this when I tell kids. You see a guy, oh, LeBron went off for 50. Kyrie went off for 40. Steph hit 64. Okay, well, what was the final score of the game? Well, they won. Okay, well, yeah, they won. And that game, LeBron scored 50. What, what did they win by? Uh, they won by three points. And what was the score? 115 to 112. So even though he scored 50, somebody else had to score like another 28, another 80 points for it to be a win. Yeah, he scored a whole bunch of those points, but he ain't score all of them. And if, some, if somebody else didn't score another two or three points, they don't win. Yeah. It, 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 it has to be conducive. So, yeah, you, you can refrain. You can hold a player back a little bit. You can keep them from playing their game. But most players at any level are not good enough to play their game. They're not impactful enough to play it and have it result to wins, or they are not efficient enough to play it and have it resort to wins. Because everybody – I remember Gilbert Arenas was on a show, and he goes, well, you know, sometimes you got to let the dog off the chain. You know what the problem with that is? Every player thinks they're the dog that needs to be let off the chain. Every single one of them. Jordan Poole was made Golden State struggle the first half of the season because he thought he was Steph Curry. Torden, Talon Horton H- Tucker, he was struggling because he was he was acting like he was an all star. He ain't at that level yet. He was a, he's not a good enough athlete to play the way he does and c- dominate consistently. He's not a good enough shooter to play the way he does and dominate consistently. But he was trying, and it was backfiring and it wasn't working. So there has to be some sort of structure and guidance. Because somebody's got to be objective to say, hey, you can't do that anymore. We need to pare this down or we need to put you in certain spots. The problem becomes when a coach gets so hung up on their style, Tom Thibodeau is a guy. Frank Vogel is a guy. They they see the game a certain way. And in Vogel's case, he'll make adjustments, but he makes adjustments way too late. He'll he'll let let people hang around and get minutes and play people too long. And now they're injured or or they, they contributed to losses because they were being overplayed and they were given opportunities that their skill set and their physical tools no lo- no longer allowed them to have. Thibodeau, I don't know that he adjusts. He keeps doing the same thing. 
And so yeah. it, 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 you don't see it develop. Last year, the Knicks were one of the best offensive teams. Oh, the Knicks are back. This year, what happened? It's the same guy. It's almost the same same roster. Yeah. How do you have the same roster and take a – at least the Lakers traded half their roster away, their defenders and shooters. They, at least they tra- made a big trade. New York kept most of their guys and added on a couple more, and they have struggled mightily. How is that? How do you take such a step back the second year? This should be the year they should take a step forward because they know each other. They know what to expect. Thibodeau has no creativity, and he has no willingness to adapt, and he, he likes who he likes, and he's going to play who he likes, and he thinks he knows more, and he does. But in certain, he's gotten hung up on certain players, and as a result, it's hurt the Knicks' progression of their young stars, and it's hurt their, their record as players. Yeah, it was like Alfred Payton last year. He just never left Alfred Payton for some reason. And yep. he wasn't that good at all. <laughs> and and, and that, that's a, just one more thing. Whether it's coaching at a high level, I know people always say coaches always put in people who give them the best chance to win. Mostly that's true. But usually if you, you really want to get a coach it, and you can't even force their hand, all you can do is keep putting up good performances where that coach gets pressured to put you in or it, it, it gets you another opportunity somewhere else. Some coaches like who they like for whatever reasons, and they're going to play who they like for whatever reasons. Ask James Borrego about Devontae Graham last year. Like, I could understand early him playing a lot, but late in the season, they were still pulling LaMelo out for Graham ain't, Graham ain't a good enough scorer or creator or ball handler to be played over LaMelo, but they kept doing it. Yeah, I have no idea why. I have no idea why. And Thibodeau refuses to bench Randall. Randall is hit or miss, and you could just sit him and, and try something different. That's hindering R.J. Barrett's growth. Because Randall, in his ridiculous shot making, shot taking, excuse me, not shot making, his ridiculous shot taking. <laughs> Avery Bradley playing 25 minutes a game for the Lakers. Are you nuts? There's no way he should be playing that much. He doesn't have the energy. He can play good defense for 12 to 13 minutes a game and play good offense for 12 to 13 minutes a game. The second second half of that, the other 12 or 13, he, he's a negative. He's not adding anything. He, I like her. I'm a Carmelo Anthony fan. He don't need to be generally playing more than maybe 17 to 19 minutes a game. And that's only if his shot's falling. If his shot ain't falling, give him two shots, he ain't hitting it, sit him. There's no need to. But guys get comfortable because they like veterans. They like a certain type of point guard. They like a certain type of post. And some of those those thought processes are antiquated, and it's holding back the team. In some cases, it's just a guy who's not athletically good enough or who's, who's past his prime who you have to manage. But they don't want to do that because they have more trust in the veteran. Hey, you play him like a veteran because he can maximize his play in, in limited time. The young guy needs more time. The veteran doesn't, especially when he's not in, when he's in decline. But coaches get hung up on their systems. They get hung up on their past beliefs. The best coaches can make adjustments. Ty Lue makes adjustments. Ty Lue does. Steve Kerr, two degree. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just echoing what you said. Ty Lue makes adjustments like crazy. Eric Spolstra. Yeah, Eric Spolster was the best coach in the league, in my opinion. He's even 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 Greg Popovich. When he had injuries, he 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 knew his personnel, and he was he was, he changed his whole thing. He went from a mid range team to a three team to a purely defensive team to an offensive team. He, he understands basketball and he wants to win. And coaches get like players. Some players only want to get on the floor if they get their fifteen and ten. Some coaches only want to win if they get to win playing their system, and that's not the right approach. You do whatever it takes to win, whatever lineup it takes to win. If it means you win on offense and you win on offense, 
And you know what? Your, your defense didn't do it. Who cares? Get the title first. Get to the playoffs first, and then we'll worry about who gets the credit for it. At the end of the day, what keeps you coming back is winning. Yeah. And to go back to something you said earlier when we were talking about Steve Kerr, about how you think coaching is a lot for the players that aren't stars, I definitely think one of the – what really makes – what I look for in a great coach is how they get the most out of their non-stars. And you see that with Eric Spolstra getting guys like Gabe Vincent and Caleb Martin, et cetera, to just be so impactful this year. Monty Williams getting everyone to know their role, just the whole team being like a wild old machine. Greg Popovich always got the most out of his role players, et cetera. I think that's a big part of what makes a coach successful. No, you, you, you're 100% right, and that's why I, I made the AAU thing at the earliest. The thing about – the best thing about having to train my own kids is because I got to see different aspects of players. I had a kid who was a creator, defender, rebounder, scorer, and a kid who's more of a utility player. The two mm-hmm. kid, the first two kids, my first two, the twins – they didn't need a lot of help. They didn't need to be in the right system. My one daughter, regardless of who she was, whoever you put against her, if that person averaged 15 points a game, you could just knock five off that. They averaged 20 points a game, you could knock seven off. She was just going to do that automatically. She's just going to get assists, get steals, get to her spots, do her thing. Same thing with the other one. She's going to get 10 rebounds. She's going to give you 15 to, 15 to 17 points, hit a couple threes, get a couple finishes at the rim, hit a couple tough mid-ranges. My other daughter was a player that you had to – understand basketball and you had to want her to succeed because she wasn't really a scorer and she wasn't really a great athlete saw the floor very well because she was strong she was a she was a track athlete she uh qualified for nationals and shot put and discus so she could make any pass from any point on the floor like literally i've seen her catch off a rebound one-handed bounce pass half court get to the half she could do that but you had to have a coach who was going to let her play a game and could who would empower her to do so so on any team, my other two were just going to buckets, 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 blocks, steals, rebounds. They were just going to do that. Regardless, whatever team you put them on who let them play, they were going to do that. My other daughter, one team you put her on, she's two rebounds, four turnovers, couldn't do anything. You put her with another coach who's going to let her kind of play a little bit more and do some, do more than just stand in the post and whatever. She's averaging seven assists a game, seven rebounds a game, four steals, three deflections in like a 15-minute span, not even playing like 20 minutes, just a bunch of ancillary support numbers that she could rack up left and right. But it had to be a coach who was going to let her do certain things and, and encourage her and put her in certain positions to see, oh, you can handle, cool. Don't get the rebound and pass to the guard. Get the rebound and bring it up because I know you can do it. And if they come up on you, you're strong enough. You can make a pass anywhere on the floor. So we'll let you, we'll, we'll let you set the table on offense. She needed that. Same way, like you said, Steph Curry does not need that. He's going to get do what he's going to do regardless. LaMelo Ball does not need that. He's going to do what he's going to do regardless. Out, um, Reeves, he needs that. He needs that help. He needs to be put in certain positions. Stanley Johnson needs it. You know, Ben Simmons, because he's not a shooting threat, he needs to, to have a high IQ, flexible coach who's going to allow him the spots and opportunities. Russell Westbrook, as he's declined, he can still be impactful but he has to be used appropriately. He has to be used appropriately. Before, you could just throw him out there and he'd dominate. Now you have to use him in the correct manner and put him in positions to win to get the same impact. But not every coach has that. And a lot of coaches rely 
on their stars to be stars. And the minute their star can't be the, the most dominant version of themselves, that coach has no idea how to use them. And if they have no idea how to use a star when he's slipped a little bit, that tells me that these role players interest or any passion to put them in position to succeed. Mm-hmm. And that's and when you don't have those role players, that's when teams start buckling because you play all the season long. If you just go through your stars, your stars get worn down. And eventually somebody's going to hurt, someone's going to be in foul trouble, and you're going to need that guy to not turn the ball over, to make a couple of plays, to hit a couple of open shots. And if you haven't developed him or you haven't built that confidence in him, in the biggest moment, it's not just going to cost them and embarrass them. You're going to, you might cost yourself a title. And a lot of coaches, it seems, I know at lower levels they don't, but it seems that even at the highest levels, they don't have an interest in really developing players. And a lot of players, when they're developing themselves or taking, hiring guys to develop them, they're trying to develop themselves to turn into elite players. And an elite player isn't just a matter of work ethic and IQ. There's a talent component. Some people don't have it. Not everybody can be Steph, no matter how many shots you take. Not everybody can be Clay. Not everybody can be LeBron. Not everybody can be KD. You have to find where you fit, and you have to find what positions you fit in and maximize that. But part of that is having a coach who cares enough and is honest enough to tell you where he thinks you fit, where he thinks you should be at, and to help you navigate those spots and build from those positions so you can have success. But now coaches don't want to say anything because it's a player's league and they're afraid they're going to get fired. So they can't make certain stances. They won't make certain comments. They won't say certain things. Unless you're like Steve Kerr, you've got three or four titles. You can say whatever you want. Ain't no, I mean, Steve Kerr don't care at this point. What are you going to tell him? Eric Spolstra, he had Pat Riley backing him up. So you, you know he don't care. Greg Popovich, he stopped caring a long time ago. He's going to do what he's going to do to what's best for the team. But guys who are just coming in or coaches who are trying to keep their jobs or, or aren't in, aren't, aren't in aren't embedded in the organization. Maybe they don't feel comfortable having that conversation. Maybe they're afraid of being wrong. Maybe they're afraid of offending a player. But a lot of players are going to play themselves out of the league because either the coach doesn't have the concern or the coach is kind of handcuffed by the player's power and won't tell them what they need to tell them to help them stay in the league and succeed. Yeah, I feel like we see that a lot with Vogel and Westbrook. I mean, it's kind of, it's hard to know what goes on behind the scenes, but it felt like from the start, Vogel or Westbrook wasn't really a Vogel type player. Nope. And I think he really wanted him there. But Westbrook could be in Westbrook, as you mentioned before, he has declined. And and I'm not gonna lie about his skill set. He's not a great shooter. He's just not. He's not a great shooter. He's he's a great scorer when he has his first step. He's not a great creator mid-range he was but as his decline physically that's become more uneven but he can still be impactful if he's allowed to be put in certain situations you never see him doing having lebron set screens for him or him set screens for lebron that would take care of a lot of things yeah but that never happens why does that not happen vogel's vogel's not an idiot he knows that would help westbrook why hasn't that happened why isn't lebron setting screens for westbrook why isn't yeah. the rest of the screens for LeBron? They both can do it. They both have the physicality. Why isn't why aren't we setting up plays where Westbrook can just get downhill? If nothing else, he can get downhill and draw fouls or at least kick out. Why is that didn't why is that not being done? Why why are we putting him with these personnel combinations? he doesn't have any shooting. You got my four Avery, Avery Bradley, Dwight Howard, Torden Hut Tucker. I mean, who who's the shooter? Who who are you putting him out here with? Historic he can't 
Ten, five years ago, Russ could eat with that kind of lineup. Now he can't. Why would you put him out with those kind of guys? You know he plays well with Melo. Why don't you have him play with Melo? Melo and Reeves. Why don't you have him play? He plays well with them. He plays very well with them. Why don't you have him playing with those guys? No, we can put him with Dwight Howard and Ray John Rondo and Avery Bradley and Trevor Ariza. Are you nuts? Like, it just seems like you're saying F you to him. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but it seems like it because – Everybody else, everybody else can, knows where he's strong at, and you know things you can do to help him. And it's like Vogel has no interest in doing it. You're either going to do it my way, or it ain't going to be done. Yeah, yeah, and that's why it uh, it's been weird because it's times where it feels like he doesn't want to upset Russ. He doesn't want to like tell him to play a different style, but then he backs him at the end of the fourth quarter, and it's it's uh, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, you know, you, part of it's on Russell, part of it is, but I always, like a guy used to tell me, his daughter used to play basketball with my daughter, but his daughter's a really good softball player. And he said, you know what a coach's job ultimately is? Not to, obviously you need to get better talent, but you can't control that all the time, whether college, high school, AAU, whatever. Sometimes you just can't. Your job is to get the most out of the talent you have and put the talent you have in position to succeed. Now you can't, overloaded because you got to think, think about the team as a whole but your job is to put every player in position to see to the fullest extent of your ability when you have a guy who's a hall of fame player like a russell westbrook if you're telling me there's no way you can figure out a way for him to be more successful i can't believe you because if he wasn't he's one of the top 75 players of all time he's got something to him he's been to the playoffs multiple times he's been an mvp you can't tell me an MVT, mvp type player can't you can't can't find some form or fashion to use them in. You, I, I can't believe that. I can't believe that. You can find something to do. Now, whether he's willing to accept it, different. But it doesn't seem – it seems like he doesn't want to talk to him because maybe he doesn't want to offend him, but he also does, doesn't want to do everything in his power to put him in a position to succeed. So what are we doing? You either got to make him change his style, and if he can't, then that is what it is. And if you can't change his style, then it's your job to find, a stop, find spots to use his style in successfully. And that's not happening either. I'm not saying it's not part on Russ because it is missing shots and all that stuff. Turnovers that's on him, but they ain't, they ain't doing him any favors. And that's what the jo- coach's job is to do to maximize the talent you have. Yeah, you want better talent. Yeah, you want better fit. But this is what we got. So you better find a way to do it. Because if you find a way to do it, guess what? That makes you look better. You not being able to find a way to make a MVP consistently impactful. Is kind of a damning, damning vote against you as a coach. Yeah. Okay, so we've come full circle back to Russ and the Lakers. Uh, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. Any last things you want to say? I want to apologize to you because I've probably talked way too much. And I've mentioned my daughters way too much, and they hate when I mention it. Well, they, one of them loves it. Amelia loves it. Mo tolerates it. Geneva can't stand it. But I'm going to mention them because I'm a trainer, and they're the first kids I train, and it gives me a unique perspective because I most people train great athletes, and I'm talking about the position of people who are not great athletes. So it, it makes my scope and my look at the game a little bit different than most people. So I apologize for talking about my kids so much. I apologize for talking so much. But, you know, I, I appreciate you having me on the show to let me talk. Don't apologize. That's why you're here. You – uh. You definitely did bring a different perspective than I usually have here, and I liked it a lot. I think this was a great episode. So 
with that being said, let the viewers know where they can find you. Um, you can find me on Twitter generally. That's all, all I'm on. Everybody says I should get on Instagram. I haven't done that yet. But um, you can find me on Twitter at Black Jordan Breen. I'm either talking combat sports because I also have assisted and coached fighters in combat sports. And I'm either talking that, boxing, MMA, or I'm talking basketball. So basically the two sports I've spent the most time studying and had the most success actually helping people compete at higher levels at. So if you have a question or a thought, um, feel free to contact me because I'm always trying to share information on my kids' AU experience, my thoughts on development and playing with people. And if you happen to be in Texas and you have a kid who's trying to get some work in, you can reach me here too because I'm all about just helping people become the best person and the best player they can be. And that may be a star, it may be a role player, but I can, I'm all about helping kids build that confidence and build that self-awareness and have some success and maybe something that they didn't, didn't think they could have success in. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on. I think this is a really good episode. No problem. I, it's a pleasure. Thank you for finally for catching up with me and thank you for your patience because like my parents love me, but my dad would have walked out of the room and my mom would have been like, why are you talking so much, dude? So <laughs> I appreciate you greatly. Yeah, thank you. See you. Have a good one. You too.